You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy latte, Sinead Maripodi. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on Writers Off The Page, where I sit down with authors to find out the story behind their stories and their top tips for getting published. Megan Golden worked as a correspondent for Reuters and other media outlets where she covered war, peace, international terrorism and financial meltdowns in the Middle East and Asia. She's the author of psychological thrillers The Night Swim, The Escape Room and The Girl in Keller's Way. Her latest has just hit the shelves. It's called Stay Awake and it is absolutely fabulous. Megan Golden, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on your show. Megan, congratulations on Stay Awake. I'm currently about three quarters of the way through and I'm going to be completely honest with you and say that my blood pressure is not at a healthy level at the moment. Well, that's good. I think that's probably what I was aiming for. (laughs) To keep people awake and to kind of give you a roller coaster ride. I'm a before bed reader and I have I have been questioning whether my choices are correct with it because it has been keeping me awake because I'm such a nervous person when I read it really affects me. And it just has me on the edge of my seat with every single page. Now, for listeners who are yet to get their hands on a copy because it is so brand new, I'll get you to tell us what Stay Awake is about. Okay, well, Stay Awake is a a psychological thriller and uh, it's about a woman, Liv, who's a magazine reporter uh, living in New York and uh, she takes a cab home one night after a night out. Uh, She's fallen asleep in the cab, she wakes up she gets out of the cab and goes up to her apartment and discovers that there are strangers living in her apartment. Uh, and they promptly kick her out and she has no idea what's going on. And all she knows is that she's got all these strange scribbles on her hands, including the words stay awake that are written under her knuckles. And, um, and she goes off, I guess, on a journey to discover what's going on with her life. It's a very chilling, chilling premise. I have to say that idea of not remembering the last two years of your life and that fear of falling asleep. I have to ask, and you probably hate being asked, but where did the idea come from? Um, It was, I set myself a writing challenge. Um, It was before COVID and um, I've always loved the film Memento, the Christopher Nolan film. And I loved the way that it was so disorienting that, you know, when you finish watching that movie, your head sort of spins. And I wanted to try and achieve that with the book. (laughs) Um, So effectively, my idea was to write a book uh, in the first person from the perspective of an amnesiac. And um, I don't really plan very much. So I just sort of start writing and then the story takes on a life of its own. And so um, that's kind of, that's sort of the seeds of the idea. And then everything else just sort of happened as I was writing. Wow, so you don't plot out at all. Do you have a vague idea of, I guess, how things are going to wrap up or the climax that you're working towards or just completely vague? Um, With this one, it was completely vague. And the one I've just finished writing, which will come out next year as well, um, my earlier books, um, I generally had a sort of an idea of the overall story arc, but I never really knew sort of how you got from point A to point B to point C. I just kind of knew that I, that was point A, this is point B in the middle, and point C is how I want to end it. Um, but this one, Stay Awake in particular, it was sort of, I mean, it was kind of like almost me taking on the role of Liv and kind of seeing where it all took me um, and where it takes the reader. 
Um, and I think that's kind of what makes it so exciting because I honestly, as a writer, didn't really know what was going to happen next until it kind of happened, um, which is, I know it's kind of weird, but that's how, um, that's how that book worked for me. So it always intrigues me something about psychological thriller authors. I said that I get really paranoid reading books and they really affect me. Does it change how you are at all writing? Do you ever get nervous by your own scenes? Yes. I do. <laughs> I'm glad I, you said that because I was like, this is a silly question. Yeah, I, I do. I do get nervous. And, um, and you know, I, I'm doing this interview in the car, as I told you earlier, because I've got the kids sort of in the house <laughs> making a lot of noise. And so sometimes I write in the car too when the house is busy and I need somewhere quiet and it's pretty scary writing a murder scene in the car at 11 o'clock at night, let me tell you. <laughs> God, the lengths that you go to, that's dedication. Well, you know, it's just about trying to find somewhere quiet. And, and then especially in Melbourne, you know, we had two years of lockdown where literally for months on end I couldn't leave the house and neither, neither could anyone else. So you do it your best with what you have. But, um, but yeah, I also kind of get anxious sometimes and um, with my own plots. And, um, and I love thrillers, but I sort of also have a, a level. Like, for example, I, I'm, I, I can't do horror at all. So, you know, I, I sort of my books reach a certain level of violence, but, but nothing beyond that. I guess that's why I do more psychological thrillers than anything else. See, I think it's the psychological thrillers that set me off more because they play with your... I guess mental stability more that that suspense that just builds up and almost you start imagining things probably worse than they're ever going to get but that being on the edge of your seat wondering when something's going to hit almost kills me and I love psychological thrillers so much and I don't know why I do it to myself because I end up so anxious but gosh when they're written well like stay awake is they really really mess with you there's one scene in particular in your book and I'm not going to give away any spoilers by saying this but it revolves around a performance um, a performance artist or a guerrilla artist I guess as you would call it um, and I think for the entirety of that scene I don't think I took one breath because I just was that traumatized about the potential of something that could happen it was written so so well thank you yeah I kind of scare myself sometimes and especially <laughs> because of the way I write because I really do kind of I kind of put myself in the in the you know I don't know in the shoes of my character and I sort of live the plot with them um, partly because I don't know what's going to happen next. And so I'm kind of, I'll go to sleep and I'll think, okay, now what's going to logically happen? If, if this, if the character's here, what's going to happen next? And so I'll kind of mull it over my sleep. So it's quite an intense process writing that first draft because I'm sort of living the, the plot with my characters. Do you have to get yourself into the headspace for writing? I hear about some authors who really work on just any snatch of time that they can get to write here or there on their phone in the car little bits and pieces but for something like this that the feeling of it is so strong and I guess to really capture that the psychological thriller aspect do you actually carve out portions of time to work I um I did you know I'm, I'm also juggling a family so when my kids were younger it was much easier because they were at school and then they'd come to home and they'd go to sleep you know at eight o'clock and then I'd have writing time and now two of them are teenagers and so you know they stay up late they I don't know there's always a myriad number of reasons why they don't need to go to school <laughs> every <laughs> second day seems to be a curriculum day 
So I don't know. It's been really hard. And then we've had, you know, the lockdowns and everything. And so I really do need, when I'm writing a first draft, I really do, do need quiet and I can't have any interruption. And I'm sort of struggling with that at the moment because it feels like I've got people underfoot all the time at the moment. <laughs> um, so I'm going to be starting a new book in a few weeks and I'm still trying to figure out exactly where I'm going to write it because, um, because yeah, we have sort of a small, busy, open plan household and it's very hard to find a quiet place. Well, look, um, I don't know about the ergonomic setup in the car as far as it goes for a writing space. It actually works very well, maybe because I had to do it over lockdown because, you know, for months on end, we couldn't, A, I had all the kids at home and my husband and for many months, um, both in the two years of the of um, the pandemic, we weren't allowed out of our houses in Victoria. So it was the only place I could go was the car. I couldn't even go, you know, sometimes I'd go to my mother's house if she's away or something or even the library, but I couldn't do any of that. Um, so I kind of got used to riding in the car and it actually works out quite well, except in summer when it's too hot. So, um, it's just not something you can do from November <laughs> to March. <laughs> no, I imagine not. Let's talk research for the book as well as your main character, Liv. You're also following the narrative of some detectives and seeing what happens during their investigations. How do you do your research? Do you have particular contacts that say, in the police force detectives and what not to run things by or do you have another method I just I do a whatever's needed um I tend not to do a lot of research up front um you know because I think that if you do you land up just researching endlessly because it's sort of more fun and a lot less stressful than actually mm. writing um but so I tend to research as I'm writing and so as I'm writing I'll suddenly come to something and I'll think to myself I really have no idea about this topic at all and then I'll break off and, you know, it may be anything from talking to people in the profession, whether it's detectives or psychologists or um, in the night swim, it was about a rape trial. So, you know, people who worked in, you know, lawyers or social workers and stuff, um, or it could be, you know, reading, I don't know, journal articles from various academic journals to newspaper articles to, you know, first person accounts or books or whatever it takes really. Um, to, to kind of nail down the knowledge that I feel like I need to be able to write that particular section of the book with the, uh, enough authority. I always like to ask people, what's your internet browser history like then if with all the research? Yeah, well, I, I sort of joke to myself that if anybody went through my browser, <laughs> um, not so much in this, but uh, I don't think, but in uh, some of the other books, you know, crazy stuff. Yeah, if you're writing crime, um, I don't even want to get into it, but really, yeah, morbid <laughs> type of <laughs> internet searches. Um, yeah, it is. It's very weird sometimes. I want to take you back for a moment to that very first publishing contract that you ever had when you first got into writing. What was the book and how did you come to be published? My first um, book was The Girl in Keller's Way and um I wrote that when my youngest son was sort of a toddler and I'd taken some time off from work. We'd actually moved back to Australia and um, wrote a draft. And, um, you know, so as you probably know, and I'm sure many other authors have told you, the process usually is you write a, a, a novel and you send it out to uh, various agents 
with these query letters. Um, and I'd actually, I've, I'd written two novels, two espionage thrillers before The Girl in Keller's Way, and I'd sent them out with query letters. And the whole thing was a project in and of itself. I mean, I was, you know, it was like a full-time job sending out these query letters. And in most cases, you don't hear back. Um, and almost always, if you do hear back, then you're just told, you know, it's not quite right for me or something like that. Um, and very often you'll get an email back saying, well, you know, it may take us three months to give you an answer and please don't send it to anybody else. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's a, it was a tough process. So when I read The Girl in Keller's Way, I didn't really, and maybe in some respects, I don't know, you know, it's a journey, the whole publishing business. But I, um, I, what I did was I was tired of that whole process of spending sort of all my time sending out query letters. Um, and so I sent it off to, um, I sent it off to a, um, a publisher, I sent it off to Penguin, um, to a, a, um, an editor at Penguin. And, um, and she loved it. And we met up for coffee here in Melbourne. And she told me that she'd love to publish it. So that's how I, um, I was lucky because she actually told me that it was exactly the type of book she was looking for on that particular day. So, you know, it was partly timing and partly, I guess, having a bit of a nerve to kind of <laughs> email her directly and, and all of that. Um, but, um, but that's what I did. And I was lucky enough to get a publishing deal for The Girl in Keller's Way here in Australia. Wow. And then, then did things move pretty steadily after that with the other books? Um, yeah. Um, well, yeah, The Escape Room, which um, so it was a two-book deal and The Escape Room was the second book and that book was published in the US. And so that opened up the, you know, I have a great publisher in the US with St. Martin's and, um, and you know, that got me published in the US, which is a really tough market to crack for a non-American um, and it did extremely well there. And so it just opened up a lot of doors for me after that. Am I right in saying that between The Girl in Keller's Way and The Escape Room, there was a really, really slight genre change? Is it? Am I correct that The Girl in Keller's Way was dark, whereas with The Escape Room you started to go down the psychological thriller path? I think that they're all psychological, but um, The Girl in Keller's Way was, I guess they call it this domestic noir, like Gone Girl or The Girl on the Train, mm -hmm. whereas The Escape Room, I'm not sure if it fits into neatly into a sort of thriller genre because it's actually a, um, set in, a, in, in Wall Street and it's a sort of set among uh, colleagues um, who um, at this, um, this um, kind of um, investment company um, who, well, you know, they have all sorts of rivalries and stuff. So they end up taking an elevator together one night and um, they think they're going in, they think it's an escape room and they discover that actually all this sort of all sorts of secrets come out and then there's a murder and all of this. So um, it doesn't, I don't think there's too many books that are sort of thrillers that are set in workplaces. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to be these sort of domestic noir, which is more, you know, people's sort of personal relationships, uh, husbands, parents, neighbors <laughs> flatmates <laughs> or whatever um so but it, it was a bit of a shift it's largely because I um I don't know I, I'm sort of I guess I'm afraid of repeating myself or I don't really want to I sort of want to explore new things and so after I wrote The Girl in Keller's Way I didn't want to do another variant of The Girl in Keller's Way you know um similar characters or different settings or whatever um so I wanted to try something different and I'd had this idea about 
you know, if you put colleagues who have, you know, sort of frenemies in an elevator and they all get stuck together, what happens? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the premise for that. Um, but each of my books are quite different. Um, the Night Swims about a rape trial um, and um, and it's the, the it's told, well, there's um, sort of three narrations, but the, one of the main characters is a true crime podcaster, Rachel Kral, who becomes a sort of, she's sort of, I guess, a detective. She's investigating uh, a a murder that happened in the same town a couple of decades earlier, and she finds that it's connected to this rape trial that's happening in the town um, that she's covering for her podcast. And then Stay Awake is like a pure psychological thriller kind of, um, you know, set in New York and about this woman, Liv, who... um, who has amnesia and you know has to write notes to herself on her hands and um, loses her memory every time she falls asleep. So each one is quite different uh, in in many respects, um, which kind of makes it interesting for me as a writer. And I get to sort of cover new areas and do different types of research and have different voices and stuff. And and hopefully for my readers as well. Although having said that, the my next book will be with Rachel Kral as well, um, so, um, so which I'm excited about because I thought she was a great character and I wanted to revisit her. Fabulous. I'm interested what you said, the idea of not wanting to repeat yourself, and it's something that I hear authors say a lot, this fear of, you know, I've got to keep the ideas fresh, I've got to keep them coming so that people don't think all of my novels are the same. What do you do specifically to keep the ideas fresh? Is there a particular source of inspiration for you or how does it work? Um, I guess I read widely and I'm also, as a former journal, I, I read the news a lot. I mean, everywhere, all over the world, I've got like, you know, newspaper subscriptions for a whole bunch of different mm-hmm. countries. So I'm exposed to new ideas all the time. So, but I think that it's, I mean, I'm lucky with my publisher that they're kind of open to me kind of giving them stories that kind of shift a little bit from whatever I've been writing. Um, I mean, they're still in the thriller genre, so I'm still within the genre. But um, because, you know, generally when you you see writers, there's an expectation and maybe by the publishers and by their readers that they'll write in that exact kind of theme over, you know, again. Um, And it's kind of hard to, to move beyond that. So if you're writing thrillers, it's gonna it's pretty hard to suddenly start writing, I don't know, you know, historical romance or something. Um, there's an expectation, you know, and it's I mean, I understand it because if you buy a Coke, you're expecting a Coke. <laughs> you don't want to buy a Coke and then land up drinking a Fanta. So um, so you know, but that is something I think a lot of authors struggle with, which is trying to have this voice and to explore themselves, I guess, artistically while um while you know, you know, um producing books that they you know keep their readers happy and their publishers happy and their agents happy and so on I imagine during your time as a correspondent for Reuters you would have seen a lot and traveled a lot has any of that influenced your writing at all um in indirectly it's influenced my writing I've written a couple of uh, espionage thrillers which has influenced a lot more um, which I hope will get published. Um, and um, it's actually a genre that I love, so I'm hoping I can write in that genre <laughs> as well um, because I'm really interested in international affairs and um, and there's just so much you can do with that. Um, and so that's something that really interests me. But, um, but it certainly influenced my writing and in sort of indirectly just in terms of the way that I approach, I guess, writing. 
um, you know, one of the things that I hear sometimes from from uh, publishers or editors is that, um, you know, is the whole editing process, which, you know, for a journalist who's used to having their work edited, it's, um, I'm very open to that process, whereas some writers are, um, you know, they, they, they write something and that's it, they're not I don't want to change it. And so for me that, you know, being a journalist is opens you up to that idea of editing and polishing and all of that. Um, so I'm quite open to that. And I guess from the research perspective and, you know, being very deadline driven as well. And that's something that, especially I worked at a news agency, which is very deadline oriented. Um, and we worked under a lot of pressure. So I'm used to all of that. And so it helps me, I guess, as a writer in terms of producing and, and being um, disciplined about it, because it is as much as it's, it's create, it's, you know, creative and it's, you know, it's an art, it's also a discipline as well. So let's then talk practicalities. So you're good at working to a deadline. You work fast under pressure, but you're also writing in the car and juggling it around kids. Realistically, what is a kind of set time frame for you from when you start that first draft to when you're submitting it to a publisher for consideration? Um, I would like, I mean, ideally it's six months. Nice. Do so, you edit as you go or is it a dirty first draft um it's a pretty dirty first draft but I often find when I start my writing day I usually go back and and edit what I've already written and that helps kind of get me back into the mood of what I've been writing Uh, it pulls me back into the story um so I'm always writing forward but I'm also going back as well um but at the end of the day my first draft is pretty pretty nasty um (laughs) And, and usually before I give it to my my agent and my publisher, I will do a sort of my own kind of edit of that um, and sort of um, polish it a bit, um, but not too much because if I spend so much time on it and it turns out that I've got it all wrong, maybe the plot doesn't work because I never know until they see it. Um, so you want to invest enough time to make sure that it works and it's, you know, that they like it and all of that, but I don't want to spend so much time um, polishing it to the nth degree and then I send it to them and they tell me oh the plot is just full of holes and this doesn't work and that doesn't work and you have to rewrite the whole thing so it's you know it's a you have to sort of balance the two I think. Is that a mentality that's changed over the time with the number of books that you've done and also the fact now that you excuse me got the contact with a publisher I know obviously when people are getting their first books going and you're just trying to get that foot in the door it really is about polish 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 don't send your first draft make sure that you've either had it assessed someone's read it or you've really thoroughly gone through to look for plot holes and things were you like that initially yeah, I was, and I think it's because I've got an ongoing relationship with a publisher and um, or publishers here as well. And you know, you have you create a level of trust. They sort of know that a I'm going to produce something they like, and b they also know that I'm the kind of person if they come back to me with editorial notes, I'm not going to just dismiss it. I'm going to look at them seriously and then you know work on the draft and take those notes into consideration when I'm doing that. So you sort of I've been lucky enough to create that kind of relationship of trust where they don't expect the book to be um, absolutely perfect um, before they, um, you know, you know, when they see it, they, um, 
And and the fact is that, you know, they, there's always going to be some editorial input from them. And so, again, it's just a matter of time. I just don't want to spend months, you know, polishing something to the nth degree and then have to dip in and then sort of pull it apart. I mean, the worst kind of edit that a, a, a writer can get is a, is a structural edit. <laughs> so you get one of those and that basically means, you know, a total rewrite. So, um, so you know, I mean, it just depends on how much time people have and how much time you want to put into it. And an ideal, you know, scenario, it would be beautifully polished and it would be perfect and um, before when you hand it in. But practically, I mean, if you do that, you could spend, I could spend, you know, you could, the risk is you could, or I could spend a year or 18 months or two years on a book and then discover that, no, nah, it doesn't work or somebody did something similar already or, or whatever. Um, so, it, yeah, I try and balance the two. Makes sense. So tell me, you are very, very good at writing psychological thrillers and evoking that feeling of fear and paranoia and readers like myself. What would your biggest tip for aspiring writers of psychological thrillers be to kind of make sure that they capture that feeling? Um, for me, I mean, I guess my biggest tip is to, to read really good books in that genre and just study them maybe read it the first time as a, as a reader and then the second time read it analytically. And um, you learn so much from doing that. So that's, I think, always the first thing to do. Um, and the second is um, with these books, it's really about pace, you know, just keeping up the pace, keeping up the pressure, not too much, not too little um, as you write. Very good. Megan Golden, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for hiding out in your car to do a podcast interview with me. That is amazing. The first I've ever had. Thank you so much and congratulations on a fabulous book. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there, I'd love it if you left a rating or review. It helps other people discover the podcast. If there's an author you want me to chat to or you just want to say hi, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Shanae Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye.